God, here we are, season freaking five. What? <laughs> you guys, we are back. This is Sam Valentine with the One Broke Actress Podcast. We are back with season five. It's been a whirlwind getting these episodes together. So thank you so much for your patience. I could not be happier to be back and giving these episodes into the ether, into the air. I am so happy I missed this. Uh, and I'm so glad that it's finally happening. Happy 2020, folks. Let's get right into it. First up, some paperwork stuff. You guys, the Instagram is kind of happening this year. I made it a promise to myself that One Broke Actress would become more of an actor page about my actor life, my admin work, day-to-day stuff, what I'm working on, as well as shares from you guys. So make sure you're checking out at One Broke Actress on Instagram. You can also follow me at Sam Valentine. Um, as well. Uh, Also, the website is getting a little redesigned, slowly but surely, so make sure you check that out. There'll be new things going on there. And the mailing list, of course, uh, the subscriber list, always a good thing to be a part of because they got some extra special stuff in their inbox this week from yours truly. Also, for the first time this season, we are truly sponsored. What? This episode is sponsored by We Audition. Yep, you might remember Darren. He came on during season two, I believe, and chatted with us about the site We Audition. And they're giving us a special code, guys. It's BROKE25, and you'll get a membership for $7.50 a month. Yep, I unabashedly use my own code, and I am a member of We Audition for $7.50 a month. Cheers. Get on there. Read some auditions with me. I'm going to be popping on as a reader occasionally, so get on there and hang out. We can read some scenes together no matter where you live. If you live in the UK, we can read some scenes together. That would be freaking amazing, and then I could hear you talk in your beautiful accent. I'm digressing. Guys, weaudition.com. Use code BROKE25 for a $7.50 membership. Can you tell I'm excited to be back? I'm so excited about this episode. Dun, da, da, da. To kick us off this season, we have Audrey Moore, actress, podcaster, inspirational human. <laughs> you guys know Audrey from Audrey Helps Actors. I know a lot of you guys listen to all of the actor podcasts, so you will be very familiar with her work. I, to be honest, was initially intimidated to bring her on. I can't exactly put my finger on why. I just think that I, I just was intimidated by her. And and then we started chatting, and I realized that we are two different sides of the same coin. We're starting this year off with a bang this season, guys, because Audrey comes on and gives you the best list of tangible actor work in this episode. I can't emphasize enough how excited I am to start the season off with this, with her awesome stories and advice, and just making this all feel a little less unattainable. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy Audrey Moore. We'll just get going. So I'm so excited to have you. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. I've heard so much about you in a professional capacity and the podcast space. And um, we have a mutual friend, Ashley, who's on the podcast this season. Yeah. Um, And I actually listened to her episodes on your podcast. That was the first time I'd listened. Yeah. Um, so I love her really episodes. Fun. Super fun to listen to back to back. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. because I think I, we get a lot of feedback about those episodes in particular because it's such a clear indication of like uh, 
I think why people are attracted to the podcast is uh, the journey, right? Yes. And all the levels and trying to work out how to keep working at the next level and the risks you have to take and all and, of that. Well, knowing that there's something that works is just I mean, so, so great. Right? <laughs> it's, so, it's so relieving. <laughs> I feel like, tell me what to do. And then you hear somebody does something and it works and you're like, oh God, yeah, there might be method want. to the madness. Oh that's all we want. That's all yeah, we want is for exactly. someone to tell us what to do in this exactly. job. Exactly. Literally as actors, mm -hmm. is direction. Um, so short background info. Are you originally from New Mexico are or you? are you? Yeah, I'm born and okay. raised in New Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. And then you went to school, you went to a conservatory training. Yeah, I went, I'm born and raised in Albuquerque. Yep. And at that time, the show business of Albuquerque didn't exist. It, it wasn't there. It didn't really happen until after I had graduated um, from college. Uh, I'm from Albuquerque, went to school to conservatory at Boston University, mm -hmm. studied there for four years, moved from there to New York City, lived in New York City for a minute, and then moved to Los Angeles after that. Well, also studied abroad in London for oh, a minute cool. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the impetus to move from New York to LA? Oh, so many impetuses. Uh, I hated living in New York. Okay. I would say general, general feeling about New York. You know, I never had a feeling that I didn't want to be in LA or that I didn't like LA. I think a lot of people have that point of view and I was never that person, but I did at that time want to do theater and I did want to, you know, I, th I felt really glad that I went to New York first because I think there's this stigma that New York is like where the serious actors are New York is where like the real people mm -hmm. are and I moved to New York and was really horrified to see that anyone could decide to be an actor that was a really shocking discovery to me because I had just gone to this conservatory and was with so many incredibly talented people mm -hmm. and was really horrified to see that somebody could just be like I also want to be an actor I'm moving to New York and then they could work yeah. And then, you know, my friends or I who had gone to these training programs didn't. And I'm glad I got that lesson in New York where it's quote unquote serious because I think if I had gone to LA and noticed that, I would have thought New York would be different yeah. in that. Mm -hmm. And it and it in fact isn't. That's good to know. I it's the most frustrating when you're sitting next to someone at like a national commercial yeah, audition yeah, and right. they're just picked up Hanging as a side out. job yeah like, oh wow cool my side right. high school is everything else yeah that's right <laughs> that's right yeah and also like yeah I mean I, I have to sometimes talk to other actors about reframing that like I know a lot of my friends you know they become parents and they're trying to decide whether or not they want to continue to put the time and energy into this and a lot of that imagine. that's commercials for a lot of them and I sort of break down the math for them and I'm like well listen you book two commercials let's say you make 30 grand off of two commercials you spend x amount of hours on in a week going to auditions going to callbacks getting ready the actual prep isn't that long you're not spending you know seven hours watching a show and yeah. going over sides and so you're basically getting paid 60 dollars an hour for a part-time job well that's actually pretty good pretty good math so I don't know, you could do it or not do it, but just know that that's what the math works out. I, that's right? a great way of looking at it. Yeah. You do have this very businessy perspective, which I really appreciate because mm. uh, it's something I try and focus on a lot. Mm -hmm. um, when you, do you remember when you first thought that this could be a business? Not like the, like acting as a rule. Like it, was it in school? Was it when you were out of school? You're like, oh, I can legitimately like make my living doing this. <laughs> no, um... I would say I never really understood making a living, period. Like, and it's not because I was raised with, with money. I was actually raised with poverty. So actually, 
I think that I remember being in an acting class and the acting teacher was like, yes. And then, you know, like what I had done this really good scene and I had created a lot of like, what do you call problems for yourself in the scene? Mm-hmm. So just like in behavior. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I love that you did that because you know, you're the kind of person that's going to get on set. I feel like, cause you're here. I want to talk to you too. I'm you can like, also talk to, to both of you. Everyone does. And so I wanted to be like, you know, Oh, okay. Uh, you know, my scene went really well and the teacher was like, this is so great. You know, you're the kind of person that's going to like book a job, get on set and then create some problems for you that you have to solve on set. And then they're going to be like, Oh my God, that was so genius. And you'll like do this work for them. And I didn't like really know what that means. Like, and it wasn't because I wasn't wanting to be a working actor. I just don't think I had ever thought of it like, oh, I need to earn a living and earning a living means in Los Angeles, I need to make this much money Mm -hmm. in order to make that as an actor, I will have to do these things. And I hear it goes both ways, you know, and I think I've experienced this to be true that people who are from so much money have a hard time like understanding it as making a living because Mm -hmm. they don't have to do it to make a living. And people who come from so much poverty also feel that way. And it's because they feel like, what is making a living, (laughs) you know? And you sort of only expect to struggle and to make ends meet and, and to really get out of the poverty cycle long enough to feel like, Oh, I pay my bills. I make more than I spend. I, you know, that sort of is a, is a different thing. Do you remember when it turned around for you that you were like, oh, this is, this is what this is. This is how you make a living. Was there a moment? And I've, I've consumed a lot of your content. Mm. I haven't mm-hmm. consumed, I've no, you've done a ton Likewise. of, a yes. ton of uh-huh. oh, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, I know you've done a ton of interviews about you in general. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's something I'm going to miss that's been said before, but. No, please. Um, do you remember there, was there like a moment when you were like, oh, I am doing it. No, it's all kind of, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think the closest answer that I can give you is I do remember deciding to quit waiting tables. Mm-hmm. Like I do remember I'm interested in that. that I was going to do that. And unlike most actors, I had saved lots of money cool. and was still petrified of quitting the job. And I had friends who had saved like way, way, way less than me who had quit. And I remember thinking like, yeah, I think if they can quit, I should probably consider that. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's also getting real about your financial upbringing. Right. Mm -hmm. And when, uh, you know, actors who, who don't come from a safety net that they feel like is, and it's interesting. I've even, you know, even actors who do have a safety net, but maybe don't feel that they do. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so much of it is mental, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. That, you know, w- the level of safety net that you're comfortable with is is unique and different for every person, mm-hmm. right? And I decided I was going to quit. And I decided I was going to give myself like a two-month sort of like, like let's let's put this into plan, right? Mm-hmm. And 
I had worked commercially. Mm-hmm. I had had some success in that. And I realized, I always felt like in order to quit my serving job, I needed to make like serious regular money. I had this number that I think it was like $90,000 a year or something. Like I needed to make 90 grand a year off of acting before I could quit. Do you remember came up with that number? I don't, th- it, I don't think it had any logic. Okay. I just think it was like, <laughs> and it, what seemed at that time like an impossible amount of money was like the number that I felt like, yes, that's what I need to hit. And then I had this conversation with myself of like, you know, I think I actually just need to make like what I need to, like actually the numbers I need to make Mm -hmm. to live. And that was probably around 30 to 40 grand, which is pretty standard in LA. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if I book two to three commercials a year and they run, I could do that. And so I started a very, this is, a little bit before the two months deadline, but I started a very uh, specific plan of actually transitioning out of the restaurant and into more full-time acting. What did that look like? It looked like I made a deal with myself in the beginning that if I had an audition, I would give up the shift, which in the beginning was really scary. It sounds so scary, but it's also, it's something I just started doing. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Because I, I was going to auditions and feeling nervous about, making it to my job mm-hmm. and what's crazy is I had money saved up like I I literally could have been unemployed for months and would have been beyond fine right and so so I realized that I was going to test that out I was going to be like let me test it out and so I started you know I would get an audition whether it was commercial theatrical and I would you know, give up my shift, which luckily the place I worked at was easy. Mm -hmm. And then I started working more and it just kind of happened that way where I felt like I was making room more to be a working actor and I got more jobs. And then I did this thing from that where I decided I was only going to go to work if I really felt like I wanted to go to work because wedding tables is one of those things where if you have great energy, people will throw money at you. And when you have crap energy, like you will get the crappy people. You, it will all annoy you. If somebody stiffs you, it will be upsetting. Mm -hmm. And so I started being like, that's a really good life lesson in general. It was, you know, side job. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel I credit the, the sort of like, (laughs) like the using of the force that I started to do through waiting tables and applying that to, uh, my set life. And I also could see I had enough people who'd, who'd sort of been risen out of their serving job and into set life permanently that I could see that it, they weren't happier in set life, that it didn't solve anything, it didn't change anything, that like the freaked out crazy person that they maybe were waiting tables was the same person they were on set. It's just now they were on set, yeah, there, right? There you are. And so I sort of realized that maybe it wasn't going to be the external circumstances change things that I needed to sort of change some things. So I started going to work uh, mostly when I, when I felt like going to work and I would just, if I didn't feel like going to work, I would again, give up the shift or, you know, see if I get called off. And most of the times that worked. And then in working three shifts a week, I was making as much or more money than I was making when I was working five shifts a week. That's amazing. And I think it was just because my attitude was better. I was like actually happy to be at work because I felt like I'd like to earn some money today and I'm in a good mood to do that today. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. And that's just a better way 
you know, to be at work anyway. And then I started also changing my attitude about waiting tables. Like, wow, what a cool job that like I could work when I felt like it. And when I was in the mood to go to work and then I would be rewarded in finances for being in a better place in a better mood. That's awesome. That's amazing. And so I started doing that and, uh, I, I started putting a plan in place. I changed my commercial agent because I was working commercially, but I wasn't auditioning. I was had like one in 12 was my commercial statistics. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I needed to then get more 12. Okay. And so that was risky because I had this, it's always scary to leave your reps. It's really scary. It is. I want to, I want to ask you a question about the, that time period when you were trying to save money. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you go about that in a way where you were still, cause you speak a lot about investing in your acting career. Mm-hmm. How were you still taking care of your career slash yourself while saving money? Well, I think I was able to, well, I, I made a really good money at this restaurant Okay, and then I booked commercials. So legitimately speaking, I had a rule and I don't know that I advise that to the degree I did it anymore, but whatever I made on acting, I spent on acting like 100% it just went back into acting. Mm-hmm. And so whatever I made on waiting tables, you know, served my life. And then every commercial booking theatrical eventually just went back into acting expenses, whether that's classes, headshots, um, workshops, a lot of workshops I did, outfits, mm-hmm. spent a lot of money on outfits. And then I started, you know, the more you know people who are just a couple levels up, I was like, bitch, you are spending so much money on that? Like... I was just like, I got to do that. And I started realizing like everyone's getting their hair and makeup done for an agent meeting. Uh huh. And I was like, shit, I got to get my hair and makeup done for an agent meeting. I know. Damn it. You know? And so, but I, but I was able to spend that because I had earned that, you know, through some commercials. And did you save a certain percentage of your money or did you just have a good head on your shoulders to save money? I'm always fascinated because yeah. people are in different ways. And now there's all those apps that'll like roll up your pennies and this and that. Yeah. Cause a savings thing, I struggled for a long time until this past year where yeah. I had to take almost, uh, to be very frank, the past six to eight months, I spent a, a lot of time on my jobs, jobs mm-hmm. and not a lot of my acting because mm-hmm. of that. I've afforded myself a, a Some chunk runway. of savings. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and I'm quitting a job. I quit a job yesterday. Yay. Actually. Congrats. Thanks. Thrilled. I have four. So yeah, no, I'm down s- is listen, exciting. I'm all about like figuring that shit out because I think actors have to be really real about, do you have the time, energy and money to pursue an industry that has a 97% unemployment rating? Yeah. Like I, I really always talk on the podcast about it being the Olympics. And when somebody has four jobs, I'm like, do you think that you're going to qualify for the Olympics if you have four jobs? No, I can barely. You can barely show up. Yeah, you can barely show up to the game, right? No, and exactly. so I think a lot of actors do need to to do what they need to do to get their money in order. And for and I, I know that everyone has a different casting because some people it's like they need to strike now. Like it's now with their casting. Mm-hmm. And other actors, it's like, yeah, I mean, the next five years for you are probably going to be plugging away. So get your money in order, stay in class, stay relevant, meet people. But if you spent one year getting your money handled, Mm -hmm. then the next four are going to be way easier for you to go through than if you are in what I call coping for the next five years. Yeah. We did a podcast with, um, with Miata. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh girl, I have Miata opening our season four because she is 
Miata. She's, she's changing lives. She's incredible. She's changing lives. She's, yeah. uh, her psychology of money is the next class I want to take mm, with her mm-hmm. um, very badly mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. God knows where I got my ideas of money. Yeah. Um, but I think that she's doing a really good thing in what she, she does. Is. And I yeah. tell all actors to go, especially because for now, she's still at Actors Fund, right? It's she still, is, yeah. It's uh-huh. still free yeah no it's free and you don't have to be a union member because i tell actors all the time to go to it and they're like i'm non-union i'm like a you don't have to be union b the actors fund not just for actors and my favorite thing about the class have you taken the class Mm -hmm. my favorite thing about the class is all the people who come with their spouses who are not actors and it's like yeah no they've committed to a, a lifetime partnership with somebody who's an actor and they're not and they're gonna come together and find out the best systems to managing and growing money with an actor as a spouse. That's so important. You, Isn't that you awesome? You got married recently, right? I did, okay, yeah. I'm getting married next year. Congratulations, Thank you. I heard. Um, I feel like we have the same engagement ring. Do we? Let me see. Let me see yours. Oh, yeah, like pretty pretty close. You have yeah. dark stones and I have lights. It's like almost exactly the same, I feel like. Oh, all so right, cute. well, now we're bonding. Here we are. <laughs> Besties. Um, <laughs> but going into that is a, is a whole financial thing. And I've met mm. people who didn't have financial talks with their partner, and I don't comprehend. <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I think it's a really hard thing. You know, uh, you know, denial is strong. The power of denial is really strong. Oh, and God. when you start looking at finances together, you know, one of the things that I, I've, I've saved and planned and invested in my retirement, and I'm also in a union that has a retirement, and it's funny, we've been together for years and I never thought, because he was always like the guy and I was never like, and also you, like I just never put that extra little piece together. And then once we got married, I was like, oh shit, we've got my retirement and now where's your retirement? <laughs> you know, because listen, as an actor, I don't plan on retiring, but it's more like, yeah. you know, I feel like you have to start saving for healthcare. You have to start saving for, I mean, God I mean, knows you what. You have the simplest IRA in an Acorns I so. account. I yeah. put $10 a, a yeah. week in one. Yeah. It's, I blink and it's gone. Yeah. I that's don't even right. pretend like it's there. Yeah. It's great. And you don't have to have a minimum. Highly that's recommend right. that one. Yeah. Um, you do a lot of work on your podcast with actors. Like we talked about the Ashley episode mm-hmm. and things like that. You're like mm-hmm. leveling up mm-hmm. and talking to actors about improvement and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you've probably seen all sides of the coin in your mm-hmm. career and mm-hmm. other people's mm-hmm. of what people are missing on the whole. Mm-hmm. What are some through lines you see with actors beyond like getting their money in order since we kind of just touched on sure. that? Um, with actors who are in a place where they're leveling up. And if you want to explain really quick your levels, um, sure. in case someone hasn't heard your podcast. Sure. So I, I talk about leveling up. Uh, I say that being an actor is like playing a video game and that you think, I think there's this myth that I think your podcast is breaking mine. Uh, that one audition, there's some, there's, audi- there's podcasts mm, out there that are, I think are really doing some great work to myth bust. Right. And I have this philosophy of like, I'm fine to lie with the public. That's, I get publicity. I get what we're doing. But like to each other, I, I want more honesty and more transparency. I'm right, right there with you. So one of the horrifyingly shocking discoveries that most actors make, which is very painful, is that it actually doesn't get easier as you get more as you get further along your career. It becomes more competitive because the people you're with are more competitive, mm-hmm. right? And I just liken that to playing a video game so that, you know, when you finish level one in a video game, 
you're like, cool, I'm awesome. And then you go to level two and it's actually faster and things are harder and there's more fire coming at you and you have to do more things. And then you're like, oh, and then you have to like work hard. And then you get, and then you, you die like immediately in the level two, like you just keep dying. And then you, and then you get like three feet in, you just get like a little bit away and then you die again. And like, that's to me, the experience of leveling up in your career is like, you're like, I'm the winner of this level. And then you get to the next level and you're like, dead, dead, dead. <laughs> dying dead so I talk about it in phases so a phase one actor to me is an actor who is you know non-union what we call pre-members they are just getting their first headshots somebody's maybe coming out of college or what I call second act actors so people who've had another career and are coming in you're getting your first headshots you're working it out uh phase two I would say is maybe you've you've joined the union you have a couple of credits maybe to your name uh, you've maybe done a couple commercials maybe maybe you've qualified your SAG health insurance here or there uh then phase three to me is you've had some consistency in that, that casting directors, you have like a list of actual casting directors that aren't made up that know who you are. You know, he's not lying about it. Oh, everyone has me. Welcome to Hollywood. You know, uh, that are, that are real, that, that know who you are. And if I were to say like, to an industry person who my agent was, that industry person would know who that person is. So your reps get better. They get more qualified. And, you know, you've qualified for SAC Health more than a few years now. And you might have even had a series. You've had some, you know, recurring roles. Uh, you're, you're competitive. You're really in, mm-hmm. right? And then I feel phase four is somebody who is maybe had multiple series. They've got some longevity in that sense. Uh, they've had more than just one pop, yeah. I guess. I feel like one pop is phase three, but a few pops, even if it's not series regular, to me, that's maybe more consistent with phase four. Okay. Uh, any of those actors that are maybe not famous, but are known within the community, mm-hmm. say phase four. So... I do leveling up episodes, which, you know, get a really positive response because Mm -hmm. I really feel that the people who are actually in the best position to help you are people who are like just kind of ahead of maybe where you are. Yeah. I love that. Right. Like I'm so tired of, and I love, I love you, Tom Hanks, but like, you know, I just can't listen to more, you know, publicity interviews with people like him talking about like you know and then buzz and buddies and then suddenly you know because it's like 1982 and that's right. not helpful to me anymore no, you had a right? black and white headshot no you did I can't I can't I can't it's, it's not, not helpful. helpful to me yeah. it's not and you know somebody who's talking about like I just I hear so much from you know older actors and it's, it's not to knock them and their levels of success. And I'm not talking about the older actors who are still what I call like in the trenches actors. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like older actors who've like made it or even contemporary actors, but they've like been it since they were seven and they've made it. They yeah. haven't seen a casting director workshop in ever or in, <laughs> or in 15, 20 years, uh-huh. right? So th- that's just not helpful to me. So I do level up episodes with actors of all levels and we just sort of, look at their materials and we look at what's happening. Uh, cause I, I do find usually there's solutions. Like there are, sometimes it's saying no to certain things. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's saying yes to certain things. Sometimes it is a plan of action of like, we've got to get you out of these four jobs and we've got to get your money together. Um, all, almost all the time it's materials. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see in the materials? You know, just, 
uh, I feel that your materials should lift you up. Mm -hmm. If you feel you're a better actor than your materials, I think that's a problem. Yeah. What do you, because there's a lot of actors who are listening to this who probably vibe with that and Mm -hmm. probably feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently just... Uh, a bunch of friends of mine just got together and wrote scenes for each other and we've, mm-hmm. we've rented in Visionate and Burbank mm-hmm. and filmed mm-hmm. real scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, inc- it was amazing how mm-hmm. fast and how easy it was when like we had a group yeah. to do it. Yeah, you get do you together. have ways you recommend to people to improve their materials if they haven't done a lot of mm-hmm. things? And how do you feel about having self tapes on, um, mm-hmm. on the sites? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to preface this with like, most of what I'm going to say is actually not how I feel. It's the feedback I get from casting. Yeah. So I'm friends with casting directors. I obviously I interview them. I'm, I know them. I've, I've, you know, built relationships with them. So because of the podcast, I'm able to like, even if it's off the record, be like, so what's the story? Like, how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You get the info. The general consensus about self tapes is I actually haven't heard a person say anything positive about self tapes as part of your footage on your materials. It's so interesting because I feel like reps are pushing that. Okay. So this is where we get into the difference between the buyers and the sellers. Yeah. And I really am a big fan of like get data. Right. And so if you, I always use like you bake cakes as my example, but like you bake, you know, you bake German chocolate cake, Mm -hmm. right. And you make a really good one. And the people trying to sell your German chocolate cake are like definitely have it in a box. Put it in a box, put it in a really great box, like a really pretty shiny box. And then the buyers who are actually going to buy your cake are like glass case only. Like if you've got it in a glass case, but who you're listening to is the sellers and you're marketing your stuff incorrectly, mm-hmm. then you're not doing your job to gather the most data. And at the end of the day, I say, is it effective? I mean, I did an episode uh, for season four with the, a girl who's still in college, but she's going out for like serious regulars. She's like getting awesome opportunities and I'm really excited for her. Amazing. And she wanted to talk about like A, her footage, B, her headshots. And I was like, because it's this thing of like, you know, get these materials and get them as mm-hmm. good as I can. I said, you're going out for serious regulars. Like, I don't, don't change your materials. Like, who cares? <laughs> like the materials working, are only right? to get you in the door. And for some people because of their age or because of their category or because of their talent, right? Uh, they have a connection to somebody who gets them the appointments. All you need is to get the appointments. And if you're getting the appointments from your Sears photo headshot, then I don't care. Right. Right. And so I think a lot of times we can get ourselves into this spin of busy work because it feels productive. Yes. But with this particular actress, what she really needed to do is like, you know, stay in school because that was important to her, do a good job in school, and then be available in time, energy, and money for when the opportunities came, she could execute them to the best of her ability. And I didn't feel that going and getting new headshots was really the best use of her time, energy, and money. Because the good headshots are only to get you in the door. Right. And she's in the door. And she's in the door. Yeah. So fuck the headshots. Right. Right? So it's more about how the materials are working. You, li- you like a numbers, which I, I feel yeah. the same way about. Yeah. Like, are they working? I mean, because mm-hmm. a lot of them, it's like, you know, they don't need the headshot. Like, if, if you're repped by a particular agency, they will call. And they will say, I've got this person. And it doesn't matter the headshot. And they'll send something. Mm-hmm. And that send your Instagram. It really doesn't send your Instagram photo. It doesn't have, even need to be your account, right? I had an, an agent on season one um, who talked about that. She had she has major actors on yeah. big shows 
And she sent, there's a, it's a selfie from one of the girl's cars that has gotten her in the room for half Everything. of the thing. That's and it. she walks in looking just like that photo too, which helps quite so a bit. So much. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really feel that that's really, it's, it's really important. You know, there, it, it, what's hard is that there isn't a formula. There isn't a system. Mm-hmm. It's all so unique. And so actors come on from all different levels and, and all faces. I have one friend of mine I'm going to have her on and she's in her 70s and she was having a dry spell spell and she was like maybe Audrey can like help me work some things out and I said man that woman asking me to help her feels like me going to like my junior high self trying to do Shakespeare and like ask for like career (laughs) advice but I get it you know we're all just looking for angles of like something we're not seeing having someone else's perspective too because your career is so like you centric it's so hard to see like I struggle to see outside of my own body Mm -hmm. you know you get into those I think we all do it especially Mm -hmm. like I would say I'm like a phase two actor Mm -hmm. um we get into these circles where it's like what am I doing wrong? What is it? And you just like, you're like, what is my type? Maybe I don't know mm-hmm. my type. Who am mm-hmm. I? Who am mm-hmm. I? Who am I? You can spiral out of control. Well, and, and, and some of it is legitimate in that there are trends that change mm-hmm. and there, and then you change. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, right now, a lot of my friends, straight white men, they haven't worked for two to three years and yeah. they're panicked and, you know, feel however you want to feel about straight white men. I'm fine with it, but it, you know, I'm, they're my friends. I'm empathetic to them. And I put myself in their shoes and like, that would, that would really suck. That would Mm -hmm. be really hard. And they're looking at like, what, what can I do in, in this moment? And right now the casting trend for straight white men is the villain. And they've been playing the hero for so long that all of their materials are geared towards hero. And so now maybe some of them need to like shift Mm -hmm. their materials and how people are seeing them from being the hero to being the villain, whatever their villain is. Oh, I think that's great advice. Right. That's fantastic. But that's specific to them and that casting. Right. Like that's, and if I'm like, everyone go be a villain, like that doesn't, but that's part of why it's hard is like, there might be a reason why you're experiencing a drag Mm -hmm. and it's, it's helpful to have somebody maybe like see what that is. And, and hopefully people that, that you trust and well and someone um, who has no stake in the game like I love that you know 100% yeah right it's so nice like you're not selling us anything you're not you're just giving it and that's I've I enjoy that more than anything I think people ask me advice and I'm like I don't you should not no not this girl (laughs) I ask questions I don't answer them right yes um so uh, anything else you want to mention on that on like through lines for actors and I would say the biggest through line I feel for everyone is that people don't understand how good they actually have to be I think I there's a level of preparation that once you get to a place where everyone's a working actor, I mean, the majority of my closest friends now, I would say, are all on this level. Mm-hmm. And we have conversations that I know people not on our level are having about execution, about preparation. And I just think it's an understanding of really how high the bar actually is because the actors I meet are not lazy. They're not lazy people. They're not apathetic people. They're extremely passionate and extremely hardworking. They just really, truly, I don't think, understand how astounding it needs to be. And it's really hard sometimes to focus in on 
the acting work, mm-hmm. especially in a world where, for example, when I got here, I got a print and a voiceover agent very mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, I, I, yeah, TV and commercials is mm-hmm. like what I love doing, but I'm also going to do print. That pays a lot of my, oh, voiceover. Mm-hmm. And I, I threw myself in 17 Gets different diluted. directions. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get back to class for a long time is because mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was supposed to be spending my money on, what I was supposed to be doing. Well, I also will say one of the great tragedies, I think, is that people will not look at you in the face and tell you you're not good enough. Mm. And I think that's really too bad because I, th- I, I really believe in being honest with people and, and saying to them, you're not competitive yet. Like you need to, and, and that can be on different things, right? For some people that for me, that was audition execution. I was mm. not good enough. And I had to really look at that and be honest with myself and do the work to get better. And for some people, they crush in auditions and they get to a place where they're like booking and they've got, you know, they're phase two, phase three. Like they've got a, they've got a career, they've made their insurance, they've paid their bills. Mm-hmm. But to get to that next level where they're memorable, where they are given, where they're inspiring writers and a staff to like write a season for them. That's maybe another kind of uh, growth that needs to happen for some people. And for some people, if you gave them the role, they would do that blindfolded, but they can't, they can't do what they need to do to get that opportunity to get the role. Yes. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you know, anyone would take off the week of work. They would sit down and watch a show if they knew they were booked. And I think that's a huge part of the disconnect. And I Mm -hmm. get that way too. I get very Mm -hmm. wrapped up in things. Um, and don't do, there's a lot of groundwork that I don't do. And partially it's because of, of jobs and time. Mm -hmm. Um, but Mm -hmm. getting there and realizing that that's the problem has been huge. Yes. Um, you, the way you approach an audition, then for example, you mm-hmm. said execution was really big for you. Mm-hmm. Um, how has it changed? Mm, and yeah. I'm also curious how has it changed for small roles? Because a lot of times people will answer that question in terms of like for like a lead or a, a reoccurring guest star and mm-hmm. they have like eight pages to like dive into. But sometimes you have like, you know, I audition for three or four lines and mm-hmm. I don't know how to execute like, how do you do that, for example? Like, if you get a smaller role sure. to audition for, what's your audition process? So I am a really big fan of actually creating an audition technique. And I think that 90% of the actors don't have one. And I have noticed that the, the actors who work all have one. Mm-hmm. And it's not my audition technique necessarily in the sense of how they prepare isn't often how I prepare. But they do have a technique. And I think one of the most important things is really identifying what you need. And I think the best way to identify what you need is through trial and error, mm-hmm. right? That the auditions where you leave like fragmented and panicked, you know, and then you have enough of those that then you didn't book. So, you know, it was like real probably that that's, that's something to look at that your preparation is maybe not serving you. Yeah. Uh, it is harder to prepare for the smaller roles. And I, and I honestly, I think this is again, a kind of actor that people are, I know actors that like three lines, there's just magic in three lines. And then they work a lot of co-stars and for them to then move into the higher space, more lines, more material, uh, they have a hard time doing that. And I know actors that like booking a co-star is just hell. It's just hell. Mm-hmm. It's just not the kind of actor that they are. Right. And, or that they've trained to be or whatever that is. Right. So my preparation over the last several years has astonishingly transformed and I'm 
and I'm working harder to up my game every step of the way. Yeah. And that's because I'm now in a place where I'm competing against Emmy winners. Mm -hmm. I'm competing against SNL alum and I'm competing against probably people who just are offered the role and I can't do anything about that. But I do want to come in and be like, you know, I want, I want, I want people to feel like if they can't cast me, then they feel really bad about it. Right. And then to feel like, fuck, Audrey was so good and she worked so hard and like, we're going to have to give this role away because I really feel like that's, I'm, I'm banking on that's what a career is going to be b- built on over mm-hmm. time is, is enough of those imprints yeah. over time. And that's a more complicated way to say book the room. But yeah. to me, it feels more fulfilling, right? Mm-hmm. It's book the room. Like I got personality. I'll book your room. Like I'll just be there and I'll be like, Hey, you know, but right. really through me getting experience out of it with casting and really having a shared, shared moment. Mm-hmm. So my preparation, I have a checklist that I really recommend people, um, especially people who are low on time, who have four jobs, Mm -hmm. who are parents, having, uh, because, and it's something that I think you should create for yourself. Yeah. You know, use other people's checklists maybe as guidelines if they work for you, but then also add your own things. I have some things on my checklist that are like, Audrey, just be aware, Audrey, like, don't (laughs) forget that you do this, Uh right? And... Uh, some things also that work for me, I think, uh, in getting some momentum, you can start to see like, oh, every time I blank, I book. And so then you can know to like have that in mm-hmm. your lexicon and make sure you do whatever blank is for you. Got right? it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I spend most of my time honestly prepping before the audition happens. Okay. So I'm really aware of what's casting and I'm watching them and how do you stay on top of that uh I get the submission reports from my manager Mm -hmm. I read deadline I listen to the top five by Hollywood Reporter I listen to the uh, business by Hollywood Reporter I listen to script notes uh people yes so good people I mean people send me shit all the time too right and uh if I hear about a project that I don't know about I'm Googling it. I'm investigating it. I'm asking for the pilot. I'm asking around to see if anyone's got a script. Is casting about worth it? Uh, you know, Just, yes. Okay. I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm in a fight with casting about right now. I, I thought, I, I, I swear I remember when casting about first happened, I think before it was sold to breakdowns, mm-hmm. that it was user, it was user controlled. Mm-hmm. So you had an audition you would go and report what your audition was, where the address was. And so I thought that was really great because it was like you got up-to-minute info and you got like the real info. Yeah, it's like Wikipedia. 100%, right? And then Breakdowns bought it. And now like if I want an address for somebody, it's, it's not there. Yeah. And the whole thing I remember being so cool about it was that like there was an address there because somebody had the audition yesterday yeah. and like filled it in. And I'm like, where is the addresses? And it was all anonymous. It's just like somebody just put it in. Right. You know, I do think it's it's helpful because it's it's on breakdowns that that it's it's up to the it's up to date information. I think that's helpful, particularly if you're doing workshops, things like that. Yeah. But I, I honestly think by the time it's gotten to casting, you're maybe late. Mm, you know? I think that's really interesting. Like if you don't know right now, 
you know, Peacock, which we all make fun of as a name, Peacock is doing like a billion shows. And like, if you don't know what Peacock's currently slated to do, who's, which writers they've got, what, you know, what that is, then I think you're behind. And that's what I mean about like really understanding how high the bar is. Yeah. So if there's a show, I, I, I really focus on first, my first circle is like things that are shooting in LA mm-hmm. because it's obviously easier to get cast in what's local. Uh, my second circle is anything period because I book a lot of period. Mm. So if it's shooting outside mm-hmm. of LA, but it's period, then that's another focus of mine. And, uh, and I, I do, I, I will watch if it's, if it's a show that like I didn't know about cause there's so many, but it's already aired. I go and I watch, I'll watch the season. I'll mm-hmm. just watch the whole show. And then I promise you what happens is then I get the audition and then I book the job, but it's because I've done the work already. I didn't wait to, cause the audition window is 14 hours. Right. There's you not know? enough time to watch a show. Yeah. I'm there's just not enough time. If I want to like build and I, and this is another thing about knowing yourself. I need a lot of prep. Mm-hmm. I, Audrey need a lot of prep. And so anything I can do that front loads the work, so I've done that, that I don't have to do in that 14-hour window is a win for me. Right? And also what great execution. It's like beyond busy work and That's it. real work. Yeah, I'm a really big fan of deliberate practice, mm-hmm. right? So deliberate practice is really identifying the weaknesses that are affecting you. So not just a weakness that doesn't have an effect, but the weaknesses that are affecting you in a negative way from the progress you want to be making. Mm-hmm. And then deliberately shoring up those weaknesses. So not just taking a class because it's time to take a class and not just watching a show because fuck it, you should watch a show. But like, okay, I, Audrey, do period work all the time. Is it a new network? Do they have a period? Is it a showrunner that I don't know? Mm -hmm. Okay, then I'm going to go watch their movie. I'm going to watch their shows. I'm going to read the script. I'm going to ask for it and I'm going to read it ahead of time. It's very poignant. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thank you. Have you always been this focused or when you started, um, when you started your acting career, did you feel like you were still piecing together things? Cause we didn't have podcasts. No. Um, I've always been focused. This is my feeling about all actors. I don't, I don't actually think that p- people think that they lack focus. I think I just didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I've never been lazy I've never been apathetic I've always been as gung-ho as I need to be and I think part of why I started the podcast was it was like I'm always like what is it where is it what anyone tell me what and then the number of times that something would happen and then I would be like what and then I'd contact a friend I'd be like did you know and they're like oh yeah and I'm like what Uh, how come you didn't tell me like what tell people and so I'm obviously very passionate about that so no I've never not been focused although I think I was incorrectly focused without knowing it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because focus and hard work are different things right and I don't think you will ever meet a single if anything I've calmed down which is an it's a horrifying thing for you to think about <laughs> yeah, I got a friend who was like oh so-and-so they're like Audrey 2007 I'm like wow that is an intense Audrey um you can ask Ashley she'll tell you so I think I just got more interested in what it is like what is it Mm -hmm. because I was able to see through feedback not delusion that my actual acting wasn't the problem and so I could see it was something else. And but I was how, like, what, what is a, it? What a great, you're like, oh. I felt so relieved. When so I could nice. really come to that conclusion, I was like, okay. 
I reasonably think, like reasonably, not again, not delusion. Like mm-hmm. I think I can reasonably conclude acting, not the issue. Even so then what? Fact. Yeah. yeah. I was like, so then what? Like then what the fuck is going on here? That's, oh God, it's true. That makes like right? takes a lot of it off. You're like, okay, yeah. I'm doing something right. Now let's find the other thing. Well, and also on. like it would be hard for me not to, not to have, I mean, I would have to work really hard to have fucked that up. I mean, I've been acting since I was seven. Mm. I went to conservatory. I was the girl in acting class in scene study. He was doing f- two scenes a week, plus repeats, going to workshops all the time. Like I am in. Yeah, I get and that vibe. still still nothing, you know? So, uh, so it was something else and I had to figure out what that was. Well, and the longevity of piecing it together is like the work itself, right? Of figuring that. And realizing like that's actually forever. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually literally, I mean, I know superstars and I'm telling you, they are panicked about not working. Like I listen to other interviews and people are like, well, you know, so-and-so doesn't worry about not working anymore. And I'm like, I'm telling you, they do. I am telling you mm-hmm. they do. The only person I've ever heard say that they didn't was Brad Pitt. And I feel like, okay, so Brad Pitt, Oh, he's not worried anymore. Okay. And that's about it. Great. Right. <laughs> Great. So I'll just, you know, get there. And then I'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. When you started the podcast, did you feel um, logistically that it took up a lot of your time? Like, how did you mm-hmm. how did you suss out um, separating your time of your? Uh, I don't want to call it a hobby because mm-hmm. that diminishes it to me a little bit. Oh, but doesn't diminish it to me. Your projects um, versus your acting career because mm-hmm. time timing logistically is a huge thing with actors mm-hmm. of this level who listen to this podcast. I think they're all trying to manage so many things. Yeah. I listened to your time management episode. It's interesting. Oh, yeah. I feel like, um, by the way, still figuring that out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, I think it's one of those things that, that, um, you know, when you start to see how valuable your time is, that's when I think you start becoming more careful with it. Mm-hmm. And when I started to see that for every Again, this is about realizing how competitive it is. That every minute that I'm spending doing something other than really trying to get ahead, like whatever that research is, whatever that technique is, whatever that practice is, whatever that is, I'm, I'm taking away from that. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm taking away from it, it needs to be a value, right? So... There are some things that that's true for. Self-care for me is one of them. So I will take away from reading scripts or whatever for self-care purposes, but that's my value system. And that's because also doing the work without that is just obliterate. It's the kind of casting that I have requires a level of self-care, mm-hmm. I will say. Um, spending time with my husband is one of those. I am not interested in having a career and then having relationships that are dissolved and and nasty. Right. Yeah. It's a big, it happens left and right. Happens all the time. So that's, that's a priority for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Are Um, you a big like calendar of that kind of time? Like how do you do it? I say I have certain, um, I'd say, uh, what they, what do they call that? Um, where you, um, Boundaries? boundary setting. I'm mm-hmm. doing something with my hands. <laughs> Listeners can't see. X marks fun. Yeah, but, but boundary setting. So I'm pretty good with boundaries. I've gotten good with them. So I have some personal boundaries that I hit. So mm-hmm. uh, I only record one thing a week. That's so great. this week, that's your podcast. That thanks, means I'm not. Thanks for being re- here. You're so welcome. <laughs> that means I'm not recording my own podcast this week. Okay. I do it once a week. I answer emails for Audrey Helps Actors three times a week, one hour at a time. Mm-hmm. 
And if I don't get to you, I don't get to you, right? I also, we've outsourced our editing, which is good. Uh, we got sponsorship and are able to outsource the first edit because that's like awesome. a 15 hour, it's, for us, it's 15 hours for the first edit. It's a long, it's a long process. A yeah. So outsourcing that. And then they're, they're rowdy over there. Yeah. Um, it's getting, it's getting a little crazy. Listen, they've, they've had their drinks and had their coffee. Okay. Um, then I have other things. Uh, I, I spend time with my husband at least once a week, like mm-hmm. a solid chunk of time. Right. I go out and see friends twice a week. Now that might also be something that I do with my husband, but that doesn't yeah. count as husband time. Right. And then, but I may do something without my husband. I may see two friends this week. Yeah. Right. And phone calls don't count. Phone calls I do while I'm driving. Then I'm, I'm trying to hit, uh, 30 hours a week on the pursuit of my career, not on the craft. Mm. So 30 hours a week is five hours, six times a day. That's a lot. But I am of the opinion that if I am not operating at the level that I want to receive, I don't think it's realistic for me to think that I will receive it. What do those five hours a day look like to you? You know, like last night, I knew she was going to answer that, ask that question. <laughs> uh, last night, I put in hours of uh, going through every every couple months, uh, at least, I will go through every audition I've had and I will look for who's booked it and watch who booked it mm-hmm. and I'll watch what they did. And I'm looking for data. I'm looking for trends of like what, what they wardrobe them in, what they cast, you know, what they, how, how they did the hair, how they did the makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for, uh, you know, I'm really trying to see of the auditions I had, how many was I actually really in the running for? Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel pretty comfortable about casting and sense of storytelling and so I'm like oh yeah no I would cast that person and here's the reasons I I Audrey would cast that person and I'm and then I'm and I'm fine with that right it also tells me so much more about my casting and what I bring to the table when I can see what somebody else brought that I just don't bring that right Mm -hmm. it may be more officious because they're older it may be more um hip because they're younger it may be uh their body type tells a different story than my body type, mm-hmm. right? So I'm looking for those sorts of things. And then if there's a role that I feel I should have gotten that I didn't, I'm then looking at what needs to be shored up in the sense of deliberate practice. Okay. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, those hours also look like reading pilots. They look like watching shows. They look like being on deadline. They uh, look like... Uh, they can look like networking events. Mm-hmm. I went to a union meeting today. That to me is part of that. Definitely. So, uh, so that, um, yeah, I'd say it's a lot of that. That's awesome. There's other things I can do in the sense of that can meld the two of craft versus pursuit. Cause I think everyone spends time on craft and not on pursuit yeah. where I can work on my craft and also know that if it's something that I want to be sent forward, I can send that forward and that then becomes part of pursuit. And also I'll hold it as though it was an audition Mm -hmm. and I'll use that as data. So it Mm. becomes part of the pursuit because I'm practicing another writer. I'm practicing another genre. I'm practicing another creative and I'm just working out to see how that fits on me. I love this. Mm -hmm. 
we're very similar people. I'm like, I'm like Tuesdays and Wednesdays, yeah. I can see friends. The rest mm. of the week, I can't talk to you. Mm-hmm. I wish you could snooze text messages like mm-hmm. you snooze emails. I know. Uh, something I think about all the time. Well, that's another thing is like, I will often, you know, it's, it's some book I read and it was like, you answer your emails, your text messages, and your, for, for many of us, your social media messages, you give yourself one hour and you go through it. And then if you don't get to it, you don't get to it. But, you know, start with like, the text messages, and then go, you know, because mm-hmm. you get overwhelmed. Oh, my God. I spend too, too much time responding yeah, to people. That's right. Um, you are really solid and confident, mm-hmm. which is really amazing to see. <laughs> and have you always been this, like, still and solid in how you felt? Because I feel like, so in your podcast, you're you're very honest. Mm. You're very, like, tr- like, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not going to think of it in time. Okay. You're you're very upfront with people. Mm-hmm. Have you always been like this? Or do you feel like, is there any part of you that feels like being a woman in this industry has had to help you like be your first advocate? That's interesting. You know, I talk about this on the podcast too. I haven't personally experienced really that thing. And I honestly think it's because I'm tall and I'm not wafy. Mm. Like I just don't, even in the restaurant industry, I just don't get treated that way by men. And my, you know, and it's probably my parents too. My dad was six foot six. My mom is six one. Holy shit. Like I, and she's never, she doesn't get treated that way. And I, I mean, I can probably count on one hand the number of times somebody has treated me that way. Mm -hmm. And I've been like, Oh no. And my husband says it's because if women fear for their safety and men fear for their pride, it's very clear upon meeting me very quickly that I have no problem embarrassing you if you behave inappropriately. And uh, so, but there are systemic things that mm-hmm. I do think I'm, I'm aware of in terms of just number of roles. You know, if, if you've ever uh, heard Gina Davis talk about her foundation, which is mind-blowing awesome. If you don't know about it, you should Google mm-hmm. it. So she, her foundation did this study where they actually take the numbers, which is so great, and they can calculate to like to the minute how many women have uh speaking time and just on-screen time and they were able to see just in background alone it's 70 percent men and they i'm not shocked yeah but it's also but like, i also thought that we were not well this doing is doing that as much anymore. and this is what she said is that she so when the foundation came she would be like okay so we have some work to do and they'd be like we solved that we solve that. And that's because she said in the lead department, that's true. That it's even in leads, but it's still Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That it's like, then the trickle down is not being taken a look at, mm-hmm. right? And it's so cool to see how, because she decided to do that, and then she had numbers, and people want to not do that. So she would, she just goes with her partner, it's great, into Sometimes um, construction. It's awesome. So moving furniture around. Great. Um, she just goes into studios with her partner and they say, here's the math. And then they're so horrified that they, then they do better. But yeah. it's because they know literally that it is actually and factually a data-driven problem, right? Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm aware of that. And I do actually find the people that I feel are the most tortured in this industry are the men who have been the lead in every play since they were seven. And then they come, they go to college and they were the lead in every play in college. And then they come out here and they maybe are swinging for like a year or two. 
and then nobody cares about them. And it's, they're experiencing the level of competition for the first time that girls have been experiencing since we were seven auditioning for plays. Because generally there were like 10 male roles and three girl roles. And there were 300 girls and there were eight boys. And so just the numbers. So we learned, if you've been an actress for a long time, you've learned to be ruthless Mm -hmm. at a very early age. And I, I found that to be an advantage because it set me up for a level of attack without like emotional torture about having to have that attack in a way that I see some of my male counterparts really struggle uh, interesting. like emotionally internally have you read Ryan you know? Holiday books I don't uh-uh, he no. has one called the obstacle is the way and that oh, yeah. feels very on par it's with that, that huh? you would you would enjoy it it's yeah. great audio but, pick uh-huh. uh that's fair. that's so interesting. I'm like really mad because we've already been talking for like 57 minutes oh. and it doesn't feel like it. Um, I'm very upset right now. I thought we were talking for like 15. What is? Um, I have so many more questions for you, so I'm gonna have to answer them another time. Okay, great. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? Anything uh, that you wish you would have known? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was thinking about this question earlier today because mm-hmm. you ask it all the time. Indeed. The one thing I wish that I could bestow upon everyone is the reality that what we actually do is we audition. And I wish somebody had told me that actually what I'll be doing for the rest of my life is auditioning. In my particular education, uh, you didn't audition, you were placed and you were placed because of your growth. It was like they would place you in roles to stretch you or they place you in roles to give you confidence. Right? So we didn't audition and I came out remarkably unprepared for auditioning. And then I went to, scene study classes where I was again acting but I wasn't practicing the muscle of auditioning and I don't know if it's changed I mean maybe it's just like in the last 15 20 years everyone's like just now auditioning but maybe that wasn't true before but I wish that somebody had told me even even when you're a series regular even when you are an Emmy winner you're still auditioning like you're actually auditioning and I would have gotten a lot better and a lot more comfortable with auditioning way earlier because it is the key to the rest. And I didn't realize that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Such good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, everyone knows to go to your podcast. Oh my God. They okay. know. Check you out. Uh, Audrey Helps Actors. That's me. Um, uh, anywhere else you want to direct them to? Any projects you have coming up? Anything like that? Yeah. Uh, you can always check out my IMDb. I love a good high number. I'm a star scale. Star scale. Hit me up. Uh, Do a girl a favor. Uh, And uh, Audrey scores more. I'm mostly on Instagram. And if you have listener questions for me, it's so much better if you guys don't email me because I can't get to them. And I like to play them. So 667 actor 70. Leave me a voicemail. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you for your podcast. Really. You know, <laughs> I you. love the difference between ours. I think it's really great. They're, they're definitely like two sides of the spectrum. Absolutely. I think they're both equally important. If I not, think like, so. I think people can really see themselves in where you are. And I think they can see themselves in where I've been. Think that's, yeah. I think that's important. So when I mm-hmm. actually first started the podcast, mm. I didn't listen to any other actor podcast beforehand. I don't know mm-hmm. why, because mm-hmm. I've always listened to podcasts mm-hmm. and I started it two or three years ago because I had a website and anyway, this happened and, uh, I eventually came across yours mm. and I was like, 
oh man, I probably shouldn't listen to this because then I'm going to try to be like her. Yeah. And like, so I put it off for a while. Uh-huh. And then I started listening and I was like, oh, no, I'm good. I can still, because I try not to <laughs> absorb content that I, yeah. I tend to like, uh, like um, osmosis myself yeah. um, easily into things. Sure. <laughs> like a sure. Southern accent if I'm around yeah. someone. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, but I, it's just, it's so nice to have someone who's doing well also mm-hmm. want to help others because I, started mine because I didn't feel like I saw anyone who remembered being at the bottom yeah. who could share. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, guys. I'll talk okay. to you in a bit. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I absolutely loved every minute of it. The first time around and listening back. Thank you so much, Audrey. I hope to talk to you soon. This podcast was created and hosted by Sam Valentine, with production help by Cecilia Tripp and Laurel Canyon Creative. Our music was provided by Maggie Zabo, and our sponsor this week is We Audition. Use code BROKE25 at weaudition.com to save 25% off your membership. That's $7.50, guys. That's like a cup and a half of coffee. Special thanks to anyone and everyone who has subscribed, rated, reviewed, or followed One Broke Actress. Welcome to season five, guys. I'll talk to you next week. 